of 24 hours. We'd raised, you know, just over quarter, three quarters of a million dollars directly to the Red Cross. And that to me actually did show that members, when you actually approach them from a humanitarian perspective, they will activate and they will release. This time we were prepared and we managed to get the email out to the database during the media frenzy of when the floods were front and centre on every single TV station you turned on. We got three times as many donations. We cracked a million dollars in donations on that occasion. What has changed is that the airlines now themselves and the, and the companies like Shell are prepared to invest themselves to make, to make that step. And so, yeah, I don't think they are. I don't think they are at all, Ian. I... You know, I think the key to it is recognising that um, people, people care about different things. You can't tell people what to care about. So let them have the choice of what to get behind, but be proactive in doing so. I love the way you talk about that, Crispin. It, it warms my heart. <laughs> and that's coming from an accountant. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ian Pringle, and this is the Loyalty Podcast from New World Loyalty. The introduction clips you just heard were a taste of our discussion today, which is all about loyalty for good, where we'll be asking if loyalty programs can be a selfless rather than a selfish pursuit. With the advent of flight shaming in Scandinavia and the UK government's own Committee on Climate Change calling for frequent flyer programs to be axed, this is a hot topic across the industry. So to tackle this question, I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart, Dennis, Craig Grimshaw, David Canty and Crispin Rogers. So hi, guys. Hi. How are you? Hi. And so to kick this off tonight, can we just quickly go around and give us a quick introduction to yourself and also a summary of your experience in how loyalty can be used as a force for good? David, can you kick us off? Hi, this is Dave Canty from Atlanta, Georgia. Been in the loyalty space for the best part of a quarter of a century, working in airlines, hotels, a little bit in retail and in each industry I've uh, come across partnerships that we've integrated to allow us to to introduce some level of giving back to the community um, so looking forward to ever, to hearing everybody's experience and point of view should be a good call perfect thanks David and uh, Crispin Yes, thanks, Ian. Um, so I've also been in loyalty for 20 odd years. I was over 20 years at Shell and for the last six years there, I was uh, running their loyalty programs around the world. And I moved on from there to Visa. So in Visa Europe, I uh, looked after their loyalty and merchant analytics activities. And it was actually um, over that time that I got more and more interested in this idea about um, loyalty as a force for good and also finding ways in which brands can do good business by doing good too. Um, so out of that experience, um, a couple of years ago, I formed For Good Causes, and we are looking at ways in which we can connect the loyalty industry uh, with the charitable sector, um, thereby giving consumers more of an emotional connection to the brands they shop with, um, but very importantly, giving them choice as to which causes they want to support, which um, in my experience is one of the most important things. Perfect. Thanks, um, thanks Crispin. And uh, Craig? Yes, thanks, Ian. Uh, Craig Grimshaw from uh, Barmy, Auckland, New Zealand. I've been involved, it seems like we've got the Fossil Brigade on the podcast, as I've been involved for about 25 years as well in loyalty, which is uh, it's great to have such knowledge on the, on the podcast. 
I think uh, we're going to break a uh, hundred today. I th- I'm sure I can feel exactly. it. We're going to break a hundred years. <laughs> I've been involved in a variety of lordy programs, like uh, my colleagues across uh, different sectors. The interesting thing is when we part through the introductions, it recalled some of the things that I've been doing around loyalty for good. And initially, when I came back to New Zealand, I was involved in a loyalty program to try and help New Zealanders stay healthy. And then the second one was trying to help New Zealanders was save for their future because there wasn't a compulsory superannuation scheme over he- over here. And then I was um, in a startup phase trying to enable a thing called Money Jar, which is different to the UK proposition, but it was around customers being able to round up their transactions at the point of sale to enable that roundup component to sit into it in a, a virtual money jar that they could then distribute to charities and to superannuation and the like. And then being involved in a coalition program which enabled charitable donations to uh, various organisations. So there's a, a breadth of different components that we can talk through. Perfect. Thanks, Craig. And, uh, and Stuart? Yeah, hi. Uh, Stuart Dennis from Australia. Uh, very warm Australia here at the moment because it's summertime and, and bright and early in the morning. Look, um, I don't have the same level of experience as some of the rest of you. Uh, I'm a CPA accountant by trade. I fell into loyalty after losing 385,000 points as an ANSET frequent flyer when ANSET <laughs> went bust in 2001 and uh, joined Virgin in 2008. So my, my experience is a little over uh, 10 years to 12 years around loyalty programs. My perspective today is probably coming a little bit from that finance background, uh, looking at some of the tax implications uh, or tax benefits that people could seek uh, around the donation of loyalty points. And um, and at the end of the day, um, I don't think people are really that motivated by loyalty. I think they're pretty selfish. And um, I think they'll um, only donate points when uh, they see some sort of benefit to themselves or some wider community benefit that uh, gives them some financial sense of well-being. Perfect. Thank, thanks, Stuart. And, um, and I'm Ian Pringle. I'm, uh, I've got, again, 25 years worth of experience in the loyalty industry. I actually started many years ago with Shell at, uh, with, with, with Crispin. So it's a bit of a, it's like getting the band back together, Crispin, this, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It needs a thinking, um, but apart from that, we're doing well. <laughs> And back back in those days, we we could you could redeem points for charity. We had a number. I think we had four four charities you could redeem for within the Shell program at the time. Um, I then worked with with EDF um, with Nectar, um, and uh, you, we we did a pro- proposition where you could redeem points for charity there. And I'll I'll, I'll talk about that in a bit later. Um, and then I was at Avios for seven years, where I was a uh, I was I was head of the retail retail partnerships then. Um, then head of analytics and then head of strategy. And there was a number of things like carbon offset and a number of other things we did for charity in those days as well. So um, so hopefully I'll bring a bit of experience to that. So thanks so much for that, that guys. Um, I guess the first question we'd like to, to like to get into is really, where have you seen it work best? So where have you seen good causes and loyalty work best? Um, should we kick off again? Um, David, could you, could you give us an example of where it's worked best for you? Sure. Um, so I've... I've... I've been fortunate enough to to work for a number of organizations, obviously, where I've seen this kind of come to life. I think the the one that really jumps to mind was when I was with JetBlue. And it's 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 important, I think, to to also kind of point out that JetBlue was founded on the principle of bringing humanity back to air travel. And in doing that, 
they kind of put together a, a set of five core values and everything that they did seemed to, it, it kind of related back to this uh, overarching humanity theme. So when we, whenever we were going to market, we made sure that everything was revolved around a conversation with customers, listening to them, hearing what they wanted, more of a customer servicing kind of side. But in regards to giving, there was a hurricane uh, that hit New York, Hurricane Sandy, some people might remember it. And it was quite devastating, not just for the, the local New York community, but the, the, the wider area, and not just for JetBlue customers in that area, but actually JetBlue crew members as well. And I had recently, as part of the True Blue program, uh, developed a partnership with an organization at that time called uh, Kula Causes. So it was a very cool concept that allowed you to kind of donate locally. And um, I remember um, reaching out to our, our, our membership base at the time and saying, this is, a, this is a partnership we're thinking about. Is it something that would be interesting to you and so forth? So everything that we ever did, we generally had reached out to our customer base to find out, is this something that you would engage with? And Cooler Causes really did resonate. Um, and the fact that it was enabling members to actually pick their cause really, really made it even more relevant. However, when, when Hurricane Sandy happened, we kind of, we found ourselves in a, an immediate kind of reactive situation um, where the, it was quite devastating. I lived, I actually lived in Connecticut, um, which was 40 miles from New York. And um, I was without power for eight days, I believe, at the time. Wow. Homes and communities in Long Island were completely devastated. Parts of New York City were underwater. And I remember getting on an emergency call with all of the executives and, and extended leadership of JetBlue from the, the the seat of my Ford Explorer um, outside <laughs> outside my house, and the reason for that was it was the only thing that I had that had power. Um, so I had my my uh, BlackBerry at the time, kind of uh, charging up in there, and we had an open um, conference call, and the the chief commercial officer at the time, Robin Hayes, who's now the the chief executive officer challenged everybody across his team with make sure that whatever we're doing today it's looking after each other and our customers so it was all about making sure that we communicated with our customers making sure that we reached out to crew members who might be uh, in anguish and so forth and he asked me was there anything that i could do um quickly to uh to activate our membership base and um, one of the one of the immediate um, requests was, let's just use the uh, the American Red Cross as the, the the central point of anything that we were going to try and raise. So I reached out to Cool Causes and said, look, I have a different kind of model here. It's not just it's not just uh, contributing your, your your true blue points. We want to allow our members to actually donate dollars as well. Um, and to be fair, those guys uh, jumped on board um, within 
within six hours, we had a, a website live. Um, I think it was, I think it was True Blue Giving or JetBlue Jet Giving. I, I, I should probably have done the research on that, but I think it was True Blue Giving. And um, we had a, a, a website live. It was and and I had literally crafted in my car the email that we wanted to send to all of our members to say this is how you can actually contribute. And I remember on the the update, the, the status update calls that we were having every hour, um, I was I was updating the team saying we will have this up and running by X time. And Robin at the time said we will JetBlue will match the the first ten thousand uh, dollars donated because we were thinking we were going to get you know small little donations, seeing what would actually happen. Um, in the uh, uh, at the hour, the first hour after the launch, I was updating the team, and we were already at twenty thousand dollars. And Robin then said, "We'll match the first fifty thousand." <laughs> and um, I think on the third hour we were already at seventy-five thousand. And um, JetBlue uh, said, um, "Look, we will, we will, we will go to hundred thousand. We will match a hundred thousand." Well, cut a long story short, we actually ended up raising. I think it was something like seven hundred and twenty thousand dollars from members, and JetBlue put a hundred thousand on top of that. So within a, the space of 24 uh, hours, we'd raised, you know, just over quarter, three quarters of a million dollars um, directly to the Red Cross. And that, to me, actually did show that members, when you actually approach them from a humanitarian perspective, they will activate and they will relate. Um, and it, it, it also shows that there's opportunity to actually get this right on an ongoing basis. We shouldn't actually just be waiting for tra tragedies to do so. so that, do you think that, the basis of that was in, do you think it was about timing? Or so if you'd left it a few weeks, do you think it was about timing or about the support from the C-suite? Or do you think it was about the, you know, what do you think was the key things that really, or is it just a massive event? You know, what do you think I, were, the, were the secret I, sauce I, there? I, I, yeah, I think it was a mixture of all of that, uh, Ian. I, I think if we didn't have the support um, of our executive leadership to be able to activate something like this, it will kind of, it, it, it tends to not kind of land as, as pertinently. However, this was a massive tragedy in some ways that people actually related to. So, and, and we spoke to them in a human level. We didn't speak to them uh, in a, you know, um, our, our handout kind of thing. We, we spoke to them at the level of we're looking after each other uh, kind of thing. And But that was um, also a very particular thing for the brand, wasn't it? I mean, JetBlue were very, very good at that. that, that that's a very core part of the JetBlue brand in any case. They were. Um, you know, another department within JetBlue um, had a great idea of, of activating every single food truck in New York. So JetBlue reached out to the authority that ran those and basically took those over um, and ran those food trucks um, with water and um, food into the into the, the local communities that had been um, troubled. So it wasn't just JetBlue, it was, it was community coming together. JetBlue yeah. was just a vehicle upon which you could you could kind of keep up to date with what was going on. But 
it was I, I think that was the first really true indicator to me that um, when you actually engage with your members at a human level, um, they are interested in in relating with you and and giving back. Um, and what proportion of that was was cash and uh, and 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 points? No, uh, it was actually all cash. Um, but what we did was we overlaid a a points offer on top of it. So we kind of flipped the model on its head, in the sense of rather than actually donating your points, we were actually going to reward you with points for every dollar every oh, dollar no. that you donated. Um, oh, so, and it was just in that instance that we tried to do that. David, I was going to ask, um, JetBlue obviously have a, a good database of people in New York um, where, you know, Cyclone Sandy or, or um, whatever mm-hmm. it is uh, occurred. If you looked at the donations, was there, were there many donations coming from the West Coast of the US? Yeah, the, the donations were coming nationwide. Um, and in fact, in some cases, uh, we, we found that people were enrolling in True Blue in order to actually um, engage with the, the initiative from all across the country. Um, wow. So it, it was, it was a, a, a tremendous kind of revealing episode in some ways. Um, I'm just sorry that it took such a major event to, to uh. trigger it, but it definitely le- left a lasting impression. Because Stuart, quite you've got right around experience the... in, uh, sorry, uh, because Stuart, you've got similar experience in Australia, don't you? Virgin Australia did a similar yeah, thing it, as well. Exactly. We, we had um, uh, Ver- Velocity, uh, the points program of Virgin Australia, had a standard similar to David, donation of points programs to various charities. I think we had four different charities on board. Um, less than 1%, far less than 1% of the membership base ever donated points on an ongoing basis. And when they did, most people just donated them before their points expired. Um, it wasn't something that people thought about beyond that on a day-to-day basis. Um, the causes, whether they didn't connect or not or were too high level, I'm not sure. But similar to David, we had two major natural disasters. And the key to both of them were about localised um, incidents or natural disasters and the timing of when we engaged the database. So. In 2008, we had uh, some bushfires um, down in, in southern Australia. Um, unfortunately, we weren't quick to get the email out to the, the, the database to donate. Um, the request went out three days after the fires had been calmed down, after the media frenzy had occurred, uh, and we, we managed to get donations worth $394,000 um, from that in- incident. So. Uh, and that was just pure points donations, no cash and no airline matching. It was just pure membership points. And remember, our points are valued a little bit less due to regulated merchant fees in Australia compared to the rest of the world. Um, and then the second incident happened in 2011 with some floods in, in Brisbane, one of the one of the, the third largest capital cities. Um, this time we were prepared and we managed to get the email out to the database during the media frenzy of when the floods were front and centre on every single TV station you turned on. We got three times as many donations. We cracked a million dollars in donations on that occasion. Oh, and so, wow, and that's straight. That's um, money straight off the liability. It's good cause, obviously. It's good co- it's, it helps your community, but actually that's well, money straight off the liability. Straight off the liability, and it's interesting because a donation to a charity in Australia is tax, tax deductible for the company. So at Velocity at Virgin Australia, 
we managed to get a donation out of that ourselves because our members redeemed it in, into us and uh, and we managed to make that tax effective for the airline. Wow. Okay. Good, <laughs> good, good point. That's a really good point. Um, and, uh, and and are there any other lessons that you learned from that? So you said t- timing is obviously one, and, uh, and and getting getting the getting the thing out. Any other lessons from that? And and it's got to be a localized event. You know the natural disasters. You know we've seen other um, major um, things go on around the world. If people can't relate to it outside of their local community, they're probably not going to give money to it. No, that's fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, Craig, how about you? How about you with that? Yes, thanks, Ian. Uh, Love the examples. The, it was it's really interesting because uh, at when I was at Flybys, we did some research around uh, whether people would like to donate to charity, and what as we all know, what they say versus what they do are totally different. Fourteen percent had said yes, they wanted to donate their points to charity, and only two percent did. What I've pulled out from the conversation with David and with Stu is the. Burning platform discussion triggers interest of both the company and the the members. The one thing I was trying to enable when I was at Flybys was a more broad uh, charitable donation capability, and so that the that Flybys weren't dictating where I should um, donate my points. It would be up to me. And then what we're trying to look at is having a more broad. It sounds like a bit bit like the Call of Causes piece where we're looking at a broader piece to see when someone uh, donates a dollar, how much actually gets passed through to the end recipient and being a more holistic and trying to scratch through a lot of the charity charity work. Um, But that never eventuated. And I think because we didn't have that burning platform scenario to go, this is what we should be doing. It was more like a nice to have. There was no regulatory demand. There was no... um, environmental demand there were there's no significant member demand to to warrant it but then if um, hopefully some of you are aware that we had a big earthquake in Christchurch a, a few years ago and if that and and if that was uh that scenario was in play then boom we could have quickly enabled a response out to customers giving them the opportunity for points and for dollars to be submitted so uh, there was a the two examples from Stuart and from David are really good examples. Well, I, I could share a similar similar experience. So um, when I was at uh, Shell, we had a number of charities you could redeem for. There was the usual dog one, a children one, a, a foreign aid one, and a, and a sickness one, probably cancer one. Um, and and they did okay. You know, it was all right. But but eventually, I think each year we used to give them a check for an, a nominal amount because it was a little bit embarrassing about how much we would have given them had it been for the full amount. And and that that was okay because customers asked for it and it sat there. But when I was at uh, EDF Energy, we had a with Nectar. We had a shortfall in the in the minimum commitment. I'm sure we all have a we're sure we all have experience of those deals, um, and the internally it was a very very um, the, the the company was very focused on CSR you know corporate social responsibility, and there was a suggestion that we should take these unused nectar points and offer them to customers who hadn't claimed their nectar points to give them to charity. And um, and I cynically was from from my experience of previous things was saying I'm not sure this is going to have an effect on because I thought you know that 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 loyalty was entirely a selfish act and that the customers who were going to claim these for charity to your point before were either going to expire or leave the company. So I said I was I was pretty cynical about it, but we did it in any case, and it performed incredibly well. In fact, the the customers who had redeemed their points, these points that we gave them for charity before they expired 
performed twice as well as the, the nectar bass in general. So, you know, that I think that was a great, I was very surprised that there was actually a, what I could see as a commercial benefit from actually doing it by giving customers the points and giving them the option. Oh, so, nice. I mean, I've, I've always been a big fan of it since. Um, and I've, I, Chris, I left you last because I know that you've, um, you, this is your, this is your big game really. So can you give us an example of where you've seen it work best and, yeah. and some examples of that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, really interesting to hear the examples and I like the, um, the expression burning platform. And I think the examples we heard were very specific, local, you know, obviously highly um, emotive events. Um, but I, I, I just wonder if the world is changing and if it has changed over recent years. And I wonder if there's not a more general burning platform environment, in fact, um, around the environment, around sustainability, um, around a younger generation who are there are there is an urgency I think about um, expecting the world to change, and um, not only wanting themselves as consumers to play their part and try and um, behave ethically and sustainably, but I think there's more and more evidence that they're looking to brands to help them do that. So they're looking to brands to help them live uh, ethically and to help them live in a sustainable way that doesn't literally cost the earth. So, and maybe it's for that reason, I think we're seeing more and more really good examples of brands getting hold of different aspects of um, uh, loyalty for good, if we've coined that phrase today. So in the UK, I think there's a few examples that I think are succeeding for different reasons. So each one has got reasons that I think they're, they're catching on. You take something like the co-op, so it's a, a supermarket here in the UK, um, which has a membership program and it offers a five-in-one proposition. So it's 5% of the consumer and 1% uh, to a local charity. So I think that's ticking two boxes. It's additive, so there's something for self, but also um, that's something that is selfless. And that, I mean, the locals come up a few times already. These are very local charities that actually the, the local staff in each store are involved in selecting the, the selected couple, two or three, and the consumer gets to opt which one they like best. I think that's got a really nice mix. Um, another couple of examples, you've got Marks and Spencers, of course. I would argue probably the most successful part of that program is, is actually the charitable aspect. I think that's evidenced by the fact that when you go to the self-service tills now, what they call out is, don't forget to use your Sparks card and as a donation to your favourite charity. So that, you know, it's a little bit annoying, actually, at the stores these days, because all, the, all of the tills are shouting this out for everybody who's going to pay something at the self-service tills. It's only a penny, and there's only 10 charities to choose from, but they're nationally recognisable, respected charities. Um, and they've raised, I've, I think the last number I saw was 12 million quid. So it's, um, you know, every little stacks up. And they've been pretty good with their comms back um, to... Uh, thank customers from the charities uh, for, and explain what they've been doing with those funds. So there I think it's about ease and simplicity and some choice. And then of course there's Shell with the recent launch where they're giving it, uh, they're giving it all of their, they're offsetting all of the customers who are buying gas from them, aren't they? Uh, yeah, so that's a CO2 offset. And uh, there again, they're doing that here, so you need to be part of the new Go Plus program. So you've got to have the loyalty app. But just downloading the app and registering means that at no extra cost, as well as the, the fuel rewards that you get, um, they offset your CO2. And they're doing that now by um, um, planting trees, as planting trees in Scotland, and in fact, different parts of the world. Um, but they've made, I think they've 
learned a bit from when we did it. So when, when, when I was involved in launching Shell Drivers Club about 2008, I think it was, 2009 perhaps. Um, and at the time, our, um, we, it was at a time when the environmental issues were again really high on the agenda. It was mm. in, on the, in the papers every day in multiple pages. And we really felt that you just, you know, we cannot launch a new program and not have that as part of it. I think what happened then was the, the, the financial crash, 2008. And I think um, for 10 years, everybody's been just about managing, to coin a phrase that's popular here. Um, and that has meant that uh, for a long time, it went off the agenda. It is now back. And I think I recognize um, the, the, the numbers earlier on around the 2% uh, donating to charity against 15% claiming 14% claiming it. Um, we had similar metrics around the first iteration of this CO2 where it was an option. So you could either take fuel rewards, slightly oddly you could take air miles, or you could offset your CO2. And we, we, behind the scenes it was beautiful. It was a gold standard carbon credit through shell trading. It was really beyond reproach, but it was rather complex for the consumer. And we missed a very important um, feedback loop from the consumer to reinforce that they were doing the right thing. Um, so, and what do you mean by that? You think you should have communicated out where they vested and all that other things, or yeah, and simple things. You know, we should have had the little the green the little stickers to go in the back of the car. You know, the green logos or key fobs or or communication just to reinforce the good that they that they were doing. Um, but unfortunately, and this off this happens often I think in this space and um, it's historically it's been considered a bit of a, an add-on a bit of an afterthought as several people have said you know there might be one or two or three charities that are that the brand likes um, and and even that doesn't get a lot of promotion it's hard enough within the brand's space to, <laughs> to talk about loyalty let alone to talk about this the different elements of redemption let alone the charity one which is um, often on the sidelines so yeah. that's why um, what we're trying to do is to is to try and build something bigger because it's collective across as many brands as possible that plays to some of the the things some of the things that we've learned along the way um, but most notably we're trying to turn the model on its head so this isn't about supporting the brand, the charity that the brand happens to favor it's about letting people choose the thing they already care about that's why we offer 17,000 charities for people to choose from in the UK um, and that's why with a, a campaign we did with Vodafone over the summer in, um, in August, we, they did some comms. It was around some point expiry, which was a, a great call to action. Um, but we had thousands of customers not only responded to that, but they gave to 850 unique charities in that one month. Um, and that ranged from big international charities that we all know through to uh, you know, national ones, right down to very local hospices, um, it's, you know, schools and preschools, uh, and lots and lots of different, uh, I can't tell you all the different range of animals, from hedgehogs to donkeys to snow leopards, honestly. <laughs> we all love a hedgehog. Well, I do, and you know, and, and I think this, the final point I've got on this is that, that for, for me, this is absolutely key. So, A, I think that the, the world has changed, and I think um, particularly the younger generation is expecting more, and they're looking for help in supporting the things they care about. And as a, a, a as a demand on brands, uh, there's I think there's an increasing demand for brands to respond to that. So 
enabling that but not trying to fabricate something that's artificial or force people down one particular route, allowing them to tap into what the customers already care about um, for us is the absolutely key thing and I think it's, uh, yeah, that, that's the way we're going to see more and more evolve. Crispin, do you, um, have you seen a change in behavior based on generation? And the reason I ask is I'm, I, I've been very focused on the millennial and Gen Z in, in, in my business. But one of the things that I do recall is that, you know, even if you go back to the days of Live Aid, for Christ's sake, when it was like a mass marketing kind of thing and it was a cause People were quick to kind of get the checkbook out and donate to to these big, massive requests and 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 so forth. Um, but what I've noticed certainly in the younger generations is that they they want to have a deeper level of involvement with the charities um, that they're giving to. So they're actually interested in actually taking part and activating with them. And I'm just wondering if you've if you've seen that in any of your your research as well. So I think it's a couple of things. So yes, absolutely. It's kind of it's pretty much true that the younger people are, the more they are exercised about this subject matter. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's just a sort of enthusiasm of youth. I think it really is a, a shift in the way that um, generations are thinking. It's not to say that the older generations aren't interested, but they don't have quite the same urgency and passion you know, as the younger generation appear to have. Um, and of course you've got all the school kids and Greta going and telling off the UN and so on. So that, that's, I think that's the tip of the iceberg for something that is fundamentally true underneath it. And then the charities, are set, we spend a lot of time you know, working directly with the charities who are of course desperately keen to A, to engage the next generation coming through because they're not behaving like their parents and grandparents did. They're not signing up to long commitments of direct debits. Um, they're not carrying cash, as many of us don't <laughs> across the UK, at least now. I think it's the second most cashless society in the world. And so the charities have got to evolve and adapt. They've got to find new ways to engage. And, and so, and very much there's an emphasis on, uh, on this feedback loop, on impact. That's a very fashionable fashionable language in the charitable sector. Demonstrating impact, so providing that feedback loop, proving that the, the, the donation that you've made is making a difference and that the money's being spent wisely. So at the moment I see that more directly in the charity space, I think that the opportunity exists to play that into the loyalty space and into the consumer engagement, particularly when we're all carrying around um, smartphones with you know, phenomenal capability and, uh, and engagement opportunities. I like your comment there, Crispin, on the impact loop. I think that's an important aspect for human nature. And whilst we look at millennials these days, um, it's happened many, many times, many years before, as, as David said, with Live Aid. And, and I think back to when we looked at some of this charitable stuff at, uh, at Virgin Australia, um, we looked at an example in Canada with Aeroplan where they had, and this is going back almost 10 years ago, they had a platform, it was almost like a GoFundMe platform where people could donate points to an individual who needed to use those points for a flight to go to visit a, you know, a, a heart specialist in Toronto or something like that. I think the, the impact loop and, and the, the localization kind of go together in, in you know, people seeing a benefit from what they're giving money towards. Yeah, good. 
Um, well, it's, there was something came up there which I think links very very nicely to Stuart Evans's question. So he asked on LinkedIn, he said, feeling good about yourself is the highest thing in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we've moved away from gold card flashing and Facebook bragging, um, but still want to use points to go on holiday, where is that balancing point? I, I, I was going to say, I think we all flash our gold cards, but remember that a lot of us earn our gold cards from flying for work purposes. Therefore, our employer, the corporate, is paying for that ticket. You know, and, and a lot of flight sectors around the world, you know, somewhere between 30% to sort of even up towards 80% on some, some routes, really corporate paid for routes. When airlines are doing deals with corporates, they generally give away some frequent flyer status for the, you know, the, the C-suite at the corporate. I think, uh, and this might key back to what David's talked a, bit, a little bit about millennials, but the change has got to be driven from the individuals requesting their, their corporates almost to include things like carbon offset or a donation to a charity for an environmental cause as part of the ticket price. You know, the airlines have tried carbon offset for years. It hasn't worked. You know, fuel is about 30% of the cost of the flight of the ticket. Another 15% is all the steel and the manufacturing of the airframe. Um, so, you know, half your ticket price is nearly purely just in, you know, the inputs to uh, the airline product. And without there being any massive change in, in airline product in the last 50 years, you know, we still fly planes with the same sort of fuel in them biofuels hasn't taken off. I think the only way that this can be driven is getting the likes of Greta Thunberg and others who work at corporates to start requesting people to do carbon offsets and getting money put towards environmental causes. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good point. I was wondering also with your piece, Crispin, whether when you said that you didn't think there was enough recognition put into Shell's approach to this in the past, I'm wondering whether if if gold cards aren't acceptable to be flashed around, that there could be a green alternative, which which actually rewarded people for offsetting and for doing good behaviours with some things that were the airline could do. Because you know IAG is committed to to offsetting by twenty twenty for short haul, and I think they're committed for for, for later. So Agreed. you know, yeah. And again, yeah. It's back to this kind of change in the zeitgeist, maybe. Flashing your gold card is becomes a bit embarrassing going forward, whereas flashing your green card becomes uh, more acceptable. And actually, you become part of a movement that encourages everybody to. Uh, we're not all going to go back to you know, living in the trees, but um, there's. I think one of the car car uh, uh, brands has got a nice phrase at the moment that uh, you know no one can do everything, but everything everyone can do something. Um, but I think if we you know in loyalty, we're we're all about, aren't we? Playing back that and making feel people nudge their behaviours and if we feedback so that they're feeling good about that and actually they want to evangelise that even better and then they'll be evangelising about the brand as well as about making improvements to a more ethical lifestyle. There's definitely a, a hunger and an appetite definitely in the younger generation to be activators and I wonder previously when organisations kind of entered this space whether it was carbon offsetting at the beginning and you know using your 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 miles or your points whether that was half kind of approached from you know Stuart mentioned the the taxation benefits and so forth where there was an economics kind of piece to it that kind of clouded a full commitment yeah. and now now I think there is an absolute kind of emotional feel to say 
no, I'm actually 100% sure this is something that I want to do. I don't particularly want to get any personal benefit from it, except from the fact that I do feel good. I do feel like I'm contributing. Um, I'm not particularly interested in the tax breaks, but um, those those are relevant at a corporate level and so forth. So I, yeah, I, but I think what I think what has changed. I agree with you completely. But I think what has changed is that the airlines now themselves and the and the companies like Shell are prepared to invest themselves to make to make that step. And yeah, so, they, I don't think they are. I don't think they are at all, Ian. I think you look at the Air France KLM recent campaign called Fly Responsibly. I think all the airlines are doing is that they're trying, it's classic reverse psychology, they're trying to position themselves as the least worse option, shift the accountability onto the individual. Um, I don't think the airlines have changed any of their practices or any of their fuel inputs and, and carbon footprint in the last 50 years. Um, the airline industry is slow to react. It always has been. By shifting it to the, in, to the individual, they change the focus away from themselves. Um, I think the airlines have you know, got to step up and take more accountability. They've got to make sure that carbon offset is part of the ticket price on a regular basis. It shouldn't be down to leaving it to the individual to make the decision themselves on a one-by-one basis. Yeah, I do agree with that as well, actually, Ian. And, and um, I think the brands are... In- going to be under more and more pressure not just to um, to do good to do good business but to be seen to be doing it and so things like the sustainable development goals the UN sustainable development goals um, are increasingly becoming a reporting mechanism that they have to report back to the investment community so that's when you know I think there's there's forces working on the brands to respond and I agree that many have been slow to do so but that's why the voices are getting louder um, and I think there was pressure from the investor community um, to to ensure that you know that the brands that they're investing in are getting on top of this and staying ahead of the curve. Um, and equally, you know, the the consumer voice is only going to get louder as the younger generations come through. Um, but some of them will be drag kicking and screaming into it. There's no doubt. And there's definitely there's there's also the political element. I mean, we're seeing that there is. Limited engagement are in some cases false engagement at the governmental level where there's, you know, they're saying, yeah, 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 we're, we're all about this. And then there's no follow through. And I think this generation, this generation that's coming through is absolutely going to force the issue. And they're not interested in accumulating points over time. They are interested in giving back. And I think I think back to when the um when I was at SPG and we put together the, the transfer of my, of points to miles and simplifying that, we, we called it uh, airline direct de- deposit, where we gave you the choice of, do you want to earn SPG points or do you want to earn your airline of choice miles? And we literally just made it an automatic thing where you clicked on, this is what I want. I do think that there's an opportunity using that type of model going forward where you actually click and say, I'm not interested in earning um, ISG points. I want them all to actually are maybe 80% of them uh, transferred directly to a, a cause for good. So we, we have brands doing exactly that, both the models of, you know, I always want my points, effectively auto redeem. I always want my points to go, yeah. not just a charity, but within the app to choose this particular charity. Uh, and we also have that model. I was talking to somebody today, actually, a major brand who will 
be giving the option um, across the dial. Do you want to give 10%, 25, 50, 100%, um, which I think is really neat because then that does allow for people to determine on that spectrum where, where do they feel they want to be. Uh, so you're still respecting the customer's choice. Mm. So guys, just to finish off, what I'd like to do is just go around quickly. So just a, just a minute each or quick as we can, we each just to say two pieces of advice for program operators regarding good causes. So I, I like and sort of uh, David said at the beginning, uh, the example that he gave around JetBlue was that the brand was driving a lot of the, the emphasis on whether it fits, sorry, any donation or charitable cause fits with the brand. And it's the one thing, if you look at a frequent flyer program, is that it operates because of the brand. And there needs to be, any charitable cause needs to be in alignment with that brand. Conversely, there also needs to be a bit of challenging from that frequent flyer program because it it is, or any loyalty program, because it is the one dealing predominantly with the customers and getting feedback consistently from customers to help the brand move along. But the brand needs to be in a position to uh, and be in the right structure and the right approach and the right brand essence, etc., to ensure that if you're undertaking a charitable cause, it needs to be in full alignment and then the, the membership program uh, supports it and endorses it. And then you've got a mechanism around how you enable it, whether it's points, whether it's um, cash or points in cash. Perfect. No, thanks for that. Thanks for that, Craig. Um, anyone else like to go next? Yeah, I'll, I'll just build on that because, you know, I, I, I just think um, some of the things that JetBlue did, and I do think it relates back to the core principle of the, of the organization, they did kind of set up partnerships with causes that made a difference. And we were able to um, really relate those back to our membership base. And one of the thing, one of the one of those causes that was very dear to my heart at the time was um, Kaboom, and um, I'm not sure if any of you guys know what Kaboom is, but Kaboom basically is builds playgrounds in areas that is uh, communities, inner cities, and communities that lack funding are where playgrounds aren't readily available or are safe uh, for young children. And the way that we supported that, and um, I think JetBlue have built numbers of these um, in partnership with Kaboom around the, the country, is JetBlue um, will activate its membership base to be the labor. And we will basically go out and say, we're going to build a playground in this part of uh, New York, this part of Atlanta, this part of Philadelphia. Um, and we would then invite our members to basically put their hand up and say, I want to attend that event. And I'm happy nice. to put a, put a spade in the ground and hammer a nail into a frame and uh, or paint a wall or whatever. And that is basically a community element kind of coming together. And that's where that's that is where loyalty programs can 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 really make a difference is because you're you're activating a membership base that cares and that that leaves a legacy. Um, and I think that also allows your membership base to get much more engaged with your brand on a go forward basis because they relate to what you're doing. So it's not all about currency. It's actually about investing. Yeah, yeah, so a couple of thoughts from me. I think uh, I think the burning platform discussion was interesting. And I think recognising that there's the burning platforms all around us now. 
that, that there is an environmental challenge that we're all of us facing. Um, and sitting alongside that, I think you know there's a there's a post financial crash world where greed's not good anymore, um, and it is about communities. And in a post Brexit, post Trump world, um, you know we can't keep leaving people behind. So I think there's a difference. Um, there's a different zeitgeist. There's a different attitude amongst folk coming, particularly the younger generation generation coming through. Um, so, I'd uh, add to that as well, Crispin. I'd add to that that we're we're a few years down the road of of traditional loyalty programs, and the the, yeah. the traditional loyalty program is looking tireder than it was in two thousand nine for uh, sure. And they're all looking for what's the buzzword right now? It's emotional engagement, isn't it? Yeah. So again, <laughs> I go back sure. to you know, let's not try and fabricate some some emotional engagement. Start with what the customer already cares about, and that's where I'd come back to the second my second big takeout, which is um, you know, we've had our Kaboom touched David's heart, and it was close to his heart. We've heard that Ian loves hedgehogs. Um, <laughs> oh, I love a hedgehog. <laughs> and we all, uh, the truth is that, um, you know, we, we all have uh, a, a generosity in our spirit and a kindness in our hearts. And But the thing which we care about and can get passionate about is very personal to ourselves. So it's, um, you know, I think the key to it is recognising that um, people people care about different things. You can't tell people what to care about. So let them have the choice of what to get behind, but be proactive in doing so. I love the way you talk about that, Crispin. It, it warms my heart. <laughs> and that's, for an coming for a fight. that's coming for an accountant. <laughs> but, well, exactly. So uh, the two pieces of advice that I'd have, you know, Arne has, has succinctly said about that because I am the finance guy. Basically, know the tax situations and be ready with, with the loyalty and the PR team ready to activate on any of those local community, you know, activities, disasters, natural disasters, whatever they may be, because it, it is great for the community and, and great for the engagement of your loyalty program. And I think the other one is, and it goes back to the bigger picture, and, and I think, you know, this is where the airlines have tried to change with biofuels. The car industry has done a pretty good job with um, with electric cars. Uh, far better than the airline industry has done with bio. And I think the next step around the carbon footprint and the environmental impact of flying uh, will, will, you know, if, if the loyalty programs and the airlines don't start doing something about it in having carbon offsets or donations as part of the, the ticket price, I think the regulators will start to step in and act and force some kind of a, a cost, um, you know, onto every single ticket that's uh, as part of that um um, future situation. So the sooner people get on the front foot about it, I think Europe's probably leading the way at the moment globally, you know, the, the better it will be for all of us. No, thanks, Stuart. Yeah. Well, thank you very much all. We're nearly in the end of our time. So thank you very much, Stuart, Dennis and Craig Grimshaw, David Canty and Crispin Rogers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share and comment using the hashtag Lords Podcasts, especially on LinkedIn, as we really love to hear your feedback. And thank you all for listening and we'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you and goodbye.